come on. Well, let me invite you to uh, take God's word this morning, turn to the New Testament, to Mark's gospel, chapter number four, the uh, fourth gospel of, or the fourth chapter in the gospel of Mark. We are slowly but surely making our way through, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the gospel of Mark. And last week, Jesus began teaching people in parables. And we saw the wonderful parable of the seed and the soils and uh, what constitutes good soil and how does good soil come about. And what we saw last week is that uh, good soil is good soil because unto them is given to understand the secrets or the mystery of the kingdom of God. It is a divine, sovereign gift of grace. And so this morning we're picking back up uh, in verse 21 with some other parables that Jesus teaches in this chapter concerning the kingdom. Verse 21 says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to put under to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown... It grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. My mamma and papa had a apple tree, if that's what you want to call it, uh, on their property. And growing up, we kids would sometimes go outside and play around the apple tree, but we never ate any of the apples. We sampled an apple or two, but that's as far as it went. Uh, The apples were small, round, looked like they'd been eat up with worms, They were sares all get out. You couldn't cut them up. You couldn't fry them. You couldn't do anything with them. So uh, we did the only things kids could do with them. Uh, One, we threw them at each other. Um, And then two, we sometimes would take a baseball bat, or if we couldn't find a baseball bat, we'd take a tobacco stick out there, 
and we would just pick up the apples that were on the ground. We'd toss them up, and whack, we'd nail it. We'd send it as far as it could go. Now, if you had an aluminum bat, and you caught one of those apples just right, that thing would, it would just explode into a million pieces. Pieces of apple would fly all over the place. And we would stay out there, and we would play with that until we got covered in apples, and then we realized Apples attract yellow jackets, and then we would leave and go somewhere else. Well, what we find in Mark 4 is that Jesus here does the same thing with the scribes and the Pharisees' expectations of the kingdom that my cousins and I did to those apples with aluminum bat. (laughs) He takes their expectations, tosses them up, and he takes the gospel hammer, if you will, and he smashes it into smithereens. He obliterates their first century hope of the kingdom. You see, first century Jews, when they thought of the kingdom of God, oftentimes their mind would go back to Isaiah chapter 61. For in Isaiah 61, you have a promise of the Messiah, of the anointed, who is going to come, and a description of his ministry. They saw, first and foremost, that when the Messiah comes, that he will come to bless the nation of Israel. For they read these words in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Bible readers know that's the verse Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4 in the synagogue, and then he followed it up by saying this, this day has this verse been fulfilled in your hearing. But to the first century Jew, they knew that there was more to the verse. If I say to you, for God so loved the world that he, and I cut it off, what would you say? Gave his only begotten son? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Well, Isaiah 61 was somewhat like a John 3.16 to first century Jews. They knew that after Isaiah 61 says that he comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that it also followed up by saying, and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, the kingdom of God to a first century Jew meant two things. It meant First, the blessing of God on the nation of Israel. But secondly, it also meant the judgment of God and the punishment of God on the enemies of Israel. In particular at this time, the nation of Rome. So when Jesus arrives in Mark, preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of heaven is here. They thought that the Messiah had arrived. And when they saw him heal the sick, When they saw him perform miracles, when they saw him cast out demons, they were saying, yes, surely, this is it. The kingdom has arrived. And in just a little while, Rome is going to be overthrown. We're going to sit on thrones with him, and we are going to rule, and we are going to reign, and we will have peace on earth. Jesus knows that's what their expectations are. The kingdom will come instantly. The kingdom will come powerfully. The kingdom will come irresistibly. No one will be able to withstand the kingdom of God when it arrives. 
So as the crowd begins to gather, last week we saw Jesus does something strange. He gets in a boat, goes out on the sea, and he's sitting on the boat, and he teaches the people a parable, a story about the kingdom. And he says, I'll tell you what the kingdom of heaven's like. It's like a sower going forth, sowing seed on different types of soil. Some is hard soil. Some's thorny. Some is, doesn't have much depth to it. But some's good soil. So the seed is eaten by birds. The seed's choked out. The seed doesn't have depth. And so what sprouts is scorched by the sun and it vanishes and disappears. But there's about a one in four return rate with this farmer, so to speak. And immediately, expectations of the kingdom begin to fall apart. People have no category for the message of the kingdom being resisted. Birds of the air eating it. They have no idea what he's talking about. Because they have no category of the kingdom of God being resisted and rejected by a rebellious People, it's coming with military might. It's coming and it's unstoppable when it arrives. Yet Jesus is crystal clear in Mark chapter 4 verse 11 that what he is teaching them is the secret of the kingdom of God. It's the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, understand that when the Bible uses the term secret there in verse 11, it's not talking about a a Sherlock Holmes, a whodunit type of Secret, no, but he's talking about a mystery. He's talking about a truth that had been previously hidden, but now revealed through Christ and the gospel. In particular, he's talking about the kingdom of God and how it was hidden in the past, but now it's being truly revealed. George Ladd says that the kingdom of God, which one day shall fill the earth, it is here among men but in a form that was never before expected. You see, the kingdom of God was on the earth through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the kingdom was embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. The purity of the kingdom is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness of the kingdom and justice of the kingdom is all seen in Jesus Christ. Thus, when the king is present, the kingdom is present. But because first century Jews were expecting something else, they missed it. They didn't see it. And so in that context, Jesus gives us three more parables in Mark, verse 21 through 34. And keep in mind that he is still speaking about the mystery of the kingdom of God. That is, a truth about the kingdom that's always been known to God but hasn't been revealed to man yet, but now is being revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me walk you through each one real quick. I'll just give you an overview. Verse 21 through 25, we have the parable of the lamp and the measure. In verse 26, we have a parable of a seed that is growing. And then in verse 30 through 32, we have a parable of the mustard seed. And then he sums it all up, Mark does, in verse 33 and 34, by giving us the pattern of Jesus' parables. That is, again, you find the division, insiders and outsiders. He spoke to outsiders and everyone in parables. But it was the insiders that he pulled to the side privately, and he gave an explanation to them concerning the kingdom of God. 
So what is the kingdom of God like? What is this mystery really about? Well, first, the first parable shows us the mystery of what I call revelation. The mystery of revelation. In verse 21 through 25, Jesus is going to use two images to illustrate how the kingdom of God is revealed. The first image is that of the lamp. Look in verse 21. He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, let me tell you something about the the translation here quickly. Um, Whenever you look at verse 21, the idea is a lamp brought. Uh, The A is an indefinite article. However, in the Greek, there's a definite article there. It is not a lamp. It is the lamp. And the lamp is not brought because the Greek word is come. Not brought, but come. It literally says, does the lamp come in to be put, on a ba- to be put under a basket, to be put under a bed, or to be, but not to be put on a stand? In other words, the lamp is not brought by someone. The lamp comes. That's significant because... It is a picture of the kingdom of God being ushered in, of the kingdom of God coming, of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. And what have the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians been trying to do with Jesus up to this point? They've been trying to kill his influence. They've been trying to silence him. They've even gathered together to see how they might destroy him. So what's happening in their midst? In their midst, the kingdom of God has come. Yet, instead of putting it on a pedestal so that it lightens everything, men are trying to hide it. They're trying to put it under a basket, put it under a bed. But Jesus says their their efforts are going to prove futile because there is going to come a day when all is going to be manifested. For he says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. In other words, what Jesus is saying this is this. Listen, they can try to hide the kingdom. They can try to put it under a bed, put it under a bushel, do whatever you want to with it. There is going to come a day when it is going to shine so brightly that no one will be able to deny it and it will be revealed in truth as what it is, the true, glorious rule and reign of God over his people. Now, I think that it will occur at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when his glorious rule will be seen by all, will be known by all, and that the kingdom of God will come in its full power, in its full glory. Jesus, or scripture says this in Revelation 1-7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. In other words, there is coming a day when there will be no doubt to the identity of Jesus Christ, to who he is, and what his kingdom is like, for he will reveal it. Nothing is going to be secret. All things are going to be made manifest. But now, at this present time, while there's still some darkness, Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, at the present time, full revelation of who Jesus is and what his kingdom is about 
only comes to those who have ears to hear. Those to whom it has been given to understand, to know the mystery or the secret of the kingdom of God. So there's the picture of the lamp. But then here's the picture of the measure in verse 24 and 25. Based on that, Jesus comes with a a warning. Pay attention to what you hear. Now listen, do you know it is very possible for people to hear the teaching of Jesus and not pay attention to it? That's what he's saying. He's saying don't just hear, but hear. (laughs) Listen to what's being said. Pay attention to the truths that you hear. And here's why it's so important that you listen correctly, that you listen intently, that you listen obediently. Because he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a boomerang effect to how you listen. If you listen well, if you listen the way God desires, if you listen to the truth of God's word and you pay attention to it, then he says, here's what will happen. Still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. So that means if God has revealed truth from his word and you listen intently and you listen well to it, do you know what he'll do? He said he will reveal more to it. But there's a flip side to that. The flip side is this. If someone refuses to hear, if they reject the truth, they will not only not be given more truth, but the truth that they have been given will be taken away from them. Look what he says in verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Is that not exactly what happens with the scribes? with the Pharisees, with the Jews of the first century. They had been given revelation, the Old Testament. They had been given the truth about God and His approaching, His coming kingdom. And yet what happened? When the fulfillment of that kingdom arrived in the person and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, they didn't listen. So what did God do? He did not give them more, and He took away that which they had. That's the warning Jesus gives Hear that the kingdom of God is not going to come with a glorious, glowing, bright light and everyone's going to see it immediately at the initiation of it, at the beginning of it. No, it's going to come and it's going to be progressively revealed. And it's going to be revealed as people hear it and they respond to that truth. And God gives more truth to them. So there's a mystery of revelation that they had no category for. And then secondly, there's the mystery of growth that they had no category for. Now look here in verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, once again, Jesus here is uh, using an imagery of planting, of sowing. And this particular parable tells us how seed grows, how it uh, grows slowly over time, how it doesn't grow instantaneously, but how it requires patience. 
And again, first century Jews had absolutely no category for this. They believed the kingdom would just arrive. They believed that instantaneously the kingdom would take over this world. It would break into human history, destroy their enemies, set up a rule. Why would growth be necessary? Growth takes time. Growth requires patience. I mean, who in their right mind puts out their garden at 8 o'clock in the morning and goes out at 9 and expects to have a full garden? Nobody. Nobody. But that's the way they thought the kingdom was going to come. Thus, this parable tells us that the kingdom is going to grow slowly. And it takes us through the process. First, he tells us that the seed is planted. All right, the seed is planted. He says the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. It's a picture that's very familiar to the first parable Jesus shares, except the focus is different. All right, the focus of the first parable was on the soils. The focus of this parable is on the seed itself. So here's the man who sows seed. Second thing it shows us is that the seed grows over time. Look what he, look what he says. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So the farmer plants the seed. He goes through days. He goes to bed at night. He sleeps. He gets up, goes to bed at night, sleeps, gets up. And through the process of time, that which he has sown begins to slowly grow. First comes the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. That is exactly how the kingdom of God grows. Slowly, steadily, not instantaneously, not immediately. Think about it. The kingdom of God began with an initial seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. From one initial seed comes 12 apostles. A little later, 120 in an upper room. A little later, 5,000 people. But what do you see throughout the book of Acts? You see the kingdom of God moving forward, not with military might. Not conquering nations and changing geographies. No. But you see the kingdom of God moving forward spiritually. And you see it moving forward one person at a time. One heart at a time. It's slow. It is gradual. It happens over centuries. Can I say this as a parenthetical point of application for a church? We must keep this in mind. That the kingdom of heaven grows slowly and patience is required. Sometimes it's hard. It's, it can be discouraging to preach the gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and see little growth, see few conversions, uh, and not see a multitude come in at once. That can be discouraging and you can start feeling like a failure and wondering, what should happen? Should I, should I take some man-made fertilizer and pour it on this seed and try and spruce it up a little bit and trying to help it along a little bit to get some more conversions out of people, to get some more decisions out of people? There's a temptation in that. But the fact is, if we believe what Scripture says, if we believe this book is powerful enough to do what only it can do, then what we will do is we will preach it. We will teach it. We will read it. We will explain it. We will apply it. And we'll sleep night and day and trust God to do his work that only he can do with the word of God. William Carey, 
the father of the modern-day missions movement, foreign missions movement, spent seven years in India before he saw one convert. Seven years. And yet, William Carey said this, the future is as bright as the promise of God. Adoniram Judson goes to Burma to take the gospel to Burma. He's there for seven years as well before he has one conversion. But listen to his attitude. In spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course beyondward still, we sow on Burma's barren plain and we reap on Zion's hill. That's what he said. So what should we do? We should sow. We should sow and we should sow and we should trust the results to God. It takes time. But thirdly, we see that the seed is then harvested. Look what happens. Verse 29. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Here's a picture of the entire harvest being brought in. Here's a picture of it becoming ripe. And now, since it's ripe, it's time for harvest. When will this harvest take place in relation to the kingdom? It'll take place when the last ear's ripe. When the harvest is ready. Then at that time, the Lord Jesus Christ will return, will gather his people, and set up his glorious kingdom. When will that occur? I don't know a timetable, but I know this. It's not ripe yet or it would have occurred. <laughs> when the last of God's people have been brought in God's kingdom, then the field will be ripe, the harvest will be ready, the command will go forward to the angels to thrust in the sickle and bring out those who are his. Beloved, there is going to be a harvest. That means that there's going to come a day when the kingdom of God is going to come in full consummation, full power, and full glory. But the point of this parable, parable is that the seed is what has life in itself. Look here what, it, what happens. Where does the power for life come from? Does it come from the sower? No. It comes from the seed. It comes from, it's a supernatural growth, if you will. Because scripture says that the earth produces by itself. First the blade, and the ear, and the full grain in the ear. Growth is dependent upon the life that is contained in the seed. Do you remember when the fractious church at Corinth was fighting over who was baptized by whom? Basing their spirituality on who it was that baptized them. One said, I was baptized of Cephas. And another said, oh, I was baptized by, you were baptized by Peter. I was baptized by Apollos. And someone says, well, it doesn't matter. I'm from, I'm from the Paul camp. What does Paul write to them and say? Paul writes and says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul except ministers by whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the increase. God who gives the growth. Again, beloved, there is a temptation for us to try again to change the way we minister 
so that we can add growth and increase to the word when it doesn't need it. It is sufficient and powerful enough to do it on its own. In 1522, in Wittenberg, it looked as if the Reformation had veered severely off course. Um, Karlsdatt and Zwieling had turned the Reformation from a spiritual battle into a political battle. And they had made it a revolution against Roman Catholic um, images and statues. And they were causing chaos and upheaval in the streets. And they were taking the Reformation away from the centrality of the preached gospel. And so in 1522, Martin Luther returns to Wittenberg in in an attempt to get it back on the correct path, to get it back on the right course. And in one of his sermons, here's what he said. Here's how the Reformation started, and here's how it has to continue. He wrote, or he said, and I quote, I will preach it, teach it, write it. But I will constrain no man by force, for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. I did nothing. The word did everything. Listen, the power is in the word of God. It does not need to be propped up. It needs to be preached. It doesn't need to be helped. It needs to be heralded. It does not, it is not found, the power, in the sower. It is found in the seed. And so the mystery that boggled the minds of first century Jews is that the kingdom of God is going to start as a seed and it's going to grow slowly over time until the harvest is ripe. Then there's a third mystery. The third mystery in verses 30 through 32. In this we find the mystery of a small beginning. Look what he says. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. This is the third parable that makes a use of the imagery of seed. But again, the focus is different. The first parable, the focus is on, in verses uh, 1 through 20, the focus is on the soils that we looked at last week. The parable in verse 26 through 29 is on the slow, steady growth of the kingdom. But in verse 30 through 32, the focus is on the seed's size. The size of the seed. And he wants us to understand that first, the kingdom will have an insignificant start, according to the world's views. Again, and I know I keep repeating, but I want you to keep this in your mind. 
First century Jews thought that the kingdom would have a large, enormous, irresistible entrance into human history. It would come on a grand scale. It would come and everyone would see it and everyone would bow before it and everyone would, 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 would kneel and be obedient to it. Jesus said that's not exactly how it came at all. As a matter of fact, he says it's coming like a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds in the world. How small is a mustard seed? Pretty small. That's small. That picture of a mustard seed in a man's hand, in his fingers, you can barely see it. Are you telling me that's the way the kingdom of God is going to begin Are you telling me that that kingdom that's going to crush all the other kingdoms of the world is going to have such an insignificant beginning? So small of a beginning? So unimpressive of a beginning? No way, they would have said. But Jesus said that's exactly how it begins. How does the kingdom of God begin in this world through the person of Jesus Christ? It begins with a peasant girl by the name of Mary that's small that's insignificant it will be embodied enter this world through a manger in Bethlehem he will not be born in a palace he will not be born in a castle no he'll be born in a feeding trough of animals and it goes on. Are you telling me that the kingdom of God is going to begin with a Jewish carpenter who's from the city of Nazareth? A little town where nothing good ever come out of Nazareth? Are you telling me that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of all kings, the kingdom of God is going to begin there? Yes. And he's going to take 12 ragtag men that society would look down upon and say, these are, this is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Those guys, that's how the kingdom's going to get started off. Yes. So insignificant that that no-name carpenter from Nazareth will get in trouble with the authorities and be crucified on a Roman cross. How insignificant, how inglorious is that kings don't get crucified on crosses messiahs don't get crucified on crosses they win they save they deliver this common criminal is the one who begins the kingdom of God that's exactly what Jesus is saying and guess what happens when that seed is planted when that seed is put in the ground then comes forth not just a small seed then comes forth a mighty tree from which all the birds of the air can find their lodging place under it thank God for that small insignificant seed that was placed in the ground and three days later he was brought forth and from that the kingdom of God has been expanding and moving forward and all who put their trust and their faith in him find rest, find peace under his limbs so to speak 
It's an insignificant beginning. Not a glorious one. But make no mistake. This kingdom will have a glorious conclusion. What is that? Yet when it is sown, it grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nest in its shade. From a small, insignificant, unimpressive beginning, the kingdom will grow into a massive tree where birds will find their rest, find their shade, find their protection. You see, this truth was in the Old Testament as well. The Jews just missed it. They missed it. It was in our scripture reading this morning from Ezekiel. Listen again to those words from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 22 through 24. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will... Bring low the high tree and make the high tree low. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken it. I will do it. Do you see the parallels with what Jesus says here in this parable? A small seed. Ezekiel said it's going to be a tiny twig. And from a tiny twig is going to come a large cedar. And all the birds of the air, all sorts of birds, will find their lodging there. A picture of the glorious nations that will come to find the rest in the kingdom of God. I am thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ, what started with a small seed, has now grown. And there is a promise of a people from every kindred, every tribe, every people, every nation who will end up a part of the kingdom of God we are the birds who find our lodging underneath the, the, the shadow of the leaves and the branches of that tree. What is all of this about? Jesus is wanting them to know that the kingdom of heaven is here and it's really not the way you expect it. No, you see, they thought they could enter the kingdom of God just by birthright, just by being a Jew. And what was it that Jesus said to Nicodemus? Except a man be born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. You see, this this kingdom, you don't get in it because of your nationality. You don't enter it because of who you are. You don't enter it because of your deeds. No. You enter it because of grace. You enter it because of faith. You enter the kingdom of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Again, we close this chapter with a division between the, or this section with a division between the insiders and the outsiders. The outsiders hear the parables. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. That's the large crowd. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable. But, 
privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. Do you know what that means? That means that his disciples got him because of a gift of grace. If you're a member of the kingdom of God today, you're a member for one reason and one reason only. A gift of sovereign grace. That means there is no boasting. There is no glorying. There is no tooting anyone's horn. There's only praise be to God for his unspeakable gift. Today I want to ask you something. Are you a part of the kingdom of God? Paul says we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And it happens through and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a member of the kingdom of God? Well, if not, listen. You can't become a member of the kingdom of God because you're a good person, because you tried hard, because you put forth an effort and you have good morals. That's not what gets you there. You become a member of the kingdom of God when you have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. And that faith and trust is not a work of the flesh. It's not a, something you conjure up in your own mind. It's an act of God in a person's heart. So today, I ask you, are you a member? If not, I ask you to trust Jesus now. I ask you to believe in him today. I ask you to do with Jesus what the birds in the parable did with the tree. Find your refuge in him by trusting him. Let's pray. Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I come to ask that in this moment that the Holy Spirit of God would take the truth of God's word, burn it into the hearts and into the minds of people, that people will heed how they hear, and God, that they will be granted ears to hear. May they hear you, see you, glorify you, and Father, trust you. I ask today, should there be those amongst us who do not know you as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray the Holy Spirit will draw, that he will open up their hearts, he will overcome their resistance, their rebellion. And Father, I pray and ask that you will draw them to repentance and grant the gift of repentance this morning. Save people today, I pray. Lord, we will praise you for who you are and what you do. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.